Section 11 of The Lost Valley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jared Wetzel Brown. The Lost Valley by Algernon Blackwood. Section 11. And here, very gradually, there began to dawn upon his overwrought mind certain curious things. They pierced clean through the mingled gloom and exultation that characterized his mood, and they made the skin upon his back a little to stir and crawl. For he now became distinctly aware that the emptiness of this lonely valley was only apparent. It is impossible to say through what sense, or combination of senses, this singular certainty was brought to him, that the valley was not really as forsaken and deserted as it seemed, that, on the contrary, it was the very reverse. It came to him suddenly, as a certainty. The valley, as a matter of fact, was full, packed, thronged, and crowded. It was to the very brim of its mighty wooded walls, with life. It was now borne in upon him, with an inner conviction that left no room for doubt, that on all sides living things, persons, were jostling him, rubbing elbows, watching all his movements, and only waiting till the darkness came to reveal themselves. Moreover, with this eerie discovery came also the further knowledge that a vast multitude of others, again, with pallid faces and yearning eyes, with arms outstretched and groping feet, were searching everywhere for the way of entrance that he himself had found so easily. All about him, he felt, were people by the hundred, by the thousand seeking with a kind of restless fever for the narrow trail that led down into the valley, longing with an intensity that beat upon his soul in a million waves, for the rest, the calm silence of the place, but most of all for its strange, deep, and unalterable peace. He alone of all these had found the entrance, he and one other. For out of this singular conviction grew another even more singular. His brother Mark was also somewhere in this valley with him. Mark, too, was wandering like himself in and out among its intricate, dim turns. He had said but a short time ago, I wish Mark were here. Mark was here. And it was precisely then, while he stood still a moment trying to face these overwhelming obsessions and deal with them, that the figure of a man, moving swiftly through the trees, passed him with a great gliding stride and with averted face. Stephen started horribly, catching his breath. In an instant the man was gone again, swallowed up by the crowding pines. With a quick movement of pursuit and a cry that should make the man turn, he sprang forward, but stopped again almost the same moment, realizing that the extraordinary speed at which the man had shot past him rendered pursuit out of the question. He had been going downhill into the valley. By this time, he was already far, far ahead. But in that momentary glimpse of him, he had seen enough to know. The face was turned away, and the shadows under the trees were heavy, but the figure was beyond question the figure of his brother Mark. It was his brother, yet not his brother. It was Mark, but Mark altered and the alteration was in some way awful, just as the silent speed at which he had moved, the impossible speed in so dense a forest, was likewise awful. 
Then, still shaking inwardly with the suddenness of it all, Stephen realized that when he called aloud he had uttered certain definite words. And these words now came back to him. Mark! Mark! Don't go yet! Don't go! Without me! Before, however, he could act, a most curious and unaccountable sensation of deadly faintness and pain came upon him, without cause, without explanation, so that he dropped backwards in momentary collapse, and but for the closeness of the tree stems would have fallen full length to the ground. From the center of the heart it came, spreading thence throughout his whole being like a swift and dreadful fever. All the muscles of his body relaxed. Icy perspiration burst forth upon his skin. The pulses of life seemed suddenly reduced to the threshold beyond which they stop. There was a thick, rushing sound in his ears, and his mind went utterly blank. These were the sensations of death by suffocation. He knew this as certainly as though another doctor stood by his side and labeled each spasm, explained each successive sinking of the vital flame. He was passing through the last throes of a dying man, and then into his mind, thus deliberately left blank, rushed at lightning speed a whole series of the pictures of his past life. Even while his breath failed, he saw his thirty-five years pictorially, successively, yet in some queer fashion, at once, passed through the lighted chambers of his brain. In this way, it is said, they passed through the brain of a drowning man during the last seconds before death. Childhood rose about him with its scenes, figures, voices, the Kentish lawns where he had played with Mark and stained overalls, the summer house where they had tea, the hayfields where they romped, the scent of lime and walnut, of garden pinks and roses by the tumbled rockery came back to his nostrils. He heard the voices of grown-ups in the distance, faint barking of dogs, the carriage wheels upon the gravel drive, and then the sharp summons from the open window. Time to come in now. Time to come in. Time to come in now. It all drove before him as of yesterday on the scented winds of childhood's summer days. He heard his brother's voice, dreadfully faint and far away, calling him by name in the shrill accents of the boy. Stevie, I say, you might shut up and play properly. And then followed the panorama of the thirty years, all the chief events drawn in steel-like lines of white and black, vivid in sunshine, alive, right down to the present moment with the portentous dark shadow of his terrible decision closing the series like a cloud. Yes, like a smothering black cloud that blocked the way, there was nothing visible beyond it. There, for him, life ceased. Only, as he gazed with inward-turned eyes that could not close even if they would, he saw to his amazement that the black cloud suddenly opened, and into a space of clear light there swam the vision, radiant as morning, of that dark, young, eastern face, the face that held for him all the beauty in the world. The eyes instantly found his own and smiled. Behind her, moreover, and beyond, before the moving vapors closed upon it, he saw a long vista of brilliance, crowded with pictures he could but half discern, as though, in spite of himself and his decision, life continued, as though, too, it continued with her. And instantly, with the sight and thought of her, 
the consuming faintness passed. Strength returned to his body with the glow of life. The pain went. The pictures vanished. The cloud was no more. In his blood, the pulses of life once again beat strong, and the blackness left his soul. The smile of those beloved eyes had been charged with the invitation to live. Although his determination remained unshaken, there shone behind it the joy of this potent magic, life with her. With a strong effort, at length, he recovered himself and continued on his way. More or less familiar, of course, with the psychology of vision, he dimly understood that his experiences had been in some measure subjective within himself. To find the line of demarcation, however, was beyond him. That mark had wandered out to fight his own battle upon the mountains, and so come into the same valley was well within the bounds of coincidence. But the nameless and dreadful alteration discerned in that swift moment of his passing, that remained inexplicable. Only he no longer thought about it. The glory of that sweet vision had bewildered him beyond any possibility of reason or analysis. His watch told him that the hour was past five o'clock, ten minutes past to be exact. He still had several hours before reaching the country he was familiar with nearer home. Following the trail at an increased pace, he presently saw patches of meadow glimmering between the thinning trees and knew that the bottom of the valley was at last in sight. And Mark, God bless him, is down there too, somewhere, he exclaimed aloud. I shall surely find him. For, strange to say, nothing could have persuaded him that his twin was not wandering among the shadows of this peaceful and haunted valley with himself, and that he would shortly find him. End of section 11